Well, again, good morning, 59th Street family. Uh, we welcome those of you who are joining us a little later today. Um, as we continue forward in the fall, we also continue onward in our sermon series, The Story, uh, where, we uh, where we explore the grand narrative that God has been, been planning from the beginning of the universe uh, until its very end. And about two weeks ago, we talked about the physicality of Christ and how Christ's historicity and physicality serves as a key to understanding the past, but also allows us to have hope uh, for the future as well. And as we move forward in our sermon series, we're still going to delay looking at Genesis. I'll, explore, I'll explain a little bit why later on. But today, we're going to be actually exploring uh, the book of Exodus. We're going to be looking at the story in Exodus. Uh, but before I talk about Exodus, um, I want to talk a little bit about patterns. Um, so welcome to another episode of the bizarre fascinations of your pastor here today. And one interesting pattern that we see in mathematics and also in the world around us is something called fractals. Um, and the reason why fractals are, are so cool or so interesting to look at is that no matter how far you kind of zoom into this picture, you begin to see the same shape or the same pattern appear over and over again. Um, for example, in mathematics, one of the most famous fractals is called the Mandelbrot set. Um, so for those of you who are mathematicians, this is just basically n squared plus one. So anything in black doesn't go off into infinity, and everything in color basically goes off into infinity in, in different uh, speeds, so to say. So this Mandelbrot set, this, this bug-looking thing, if you look at the edges, if you, if you kind of try, try to like zoom in your eyes, you'll begin to see, you see all these little, you know, mini Mandelbrots amongst the bigger Mandelbrot. Actually, I would, I would like to show you guys a video. Kai, if you, if you can just like pull up the, the YouTube and just drag it over to the right. And um, it's, it's crazy to watch, or it's crazy to look at, at least. We're just gonna watch like the first 10, 15 seconds. So it starts to zoom in, it starts to zoom in, you see all these little mini Mandelbrots off to the side, and then eventually it just gets all chaotic with all these crazy colors, you know, numbers going off into infinity. And this is the cool part, as we, as we get into all this chaos, as we see all these vibrant colors, if you look at the center of your screen, and you can just kind of pause right about here, you just see another Mandelbrot with other mini Mandelbrots in there. Kind of cool, kind of crazy. And it's actually the same thing, not just in mathematics, but also in nature our, as well. Our respiratory system, for example, is fractal, right? We have one tube that connects to two big air sacs called the lungs. And if you zoom in on the lungs, you'll see even smaller tubes connecting to even smaller sacs. Uh, trees are another fractal in nature where you have branches splitting off to other branches that are splitting off into even smaller branches, and even in leaves themselves, you see veins splitting off to other veins into even smaller veins. Um, here's another insane spiral fractal, kind of based off of physics and based off the Fibonacci sequence, where, where you, know, you basically see this same pattern over all areas of life, you know, even in like the grandness of the cosmos. Now, at this point, you, you might be thinking, I'm starting to look a bit like this guy right here. Uh, if you can go to the next slide. 
completely lost my marbles. You're not wrong, I actually have. But I find it beautiful that God uses these fractal patterns to create our universe. And when you see all these patterns, all these things repeat over and over again from the grandness of the universe down to plants and seashells, I can't help but to feel that there indeed is an intelligent creator out there. However, not only that, but the main reason why I wanted to show everyone about these repeating patterns here today in nature and mathematics is that it has actually everything to do with our passage today from Exodus. Now, two weeks ago, we started off looking at God's story from the Gospels, and this week, we're going to delay again looking at Genesis until next week. And the reason we're going to do that, the reason why we're going to examine Exodus instead of Genesis, is that the book of Genesis was actually written for the people who were leaving Egypt. And so before the Israelites understood their God as creator, the very first experience of the Israelites was experiencing and understanding their God as Redeemer. And so the book of Genesis was actually written for the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt. And so how God acts in the Exodus events on behalf of his people sets a pattern that we will see over and over and over in Scripture and also over and over in our lives as well. And it is this pattern that makes Genesis, the first book of the Bible, make sense. And it's also this pattern that we're going to explore in a minute that will make Revelations, the last book of the Bible, make sense. And this pattern can be remembered by another pattern. Just kidding. It can be remembered by three R's. Redemption, restoration, I mean, sorry, redemption, relationship, and restoration. Redemption, relationship, and restoration. And so as you go through each element of this pattern, I want, to, I want you guys to open up a little bit of peripheral mental space and begin to think. Think about how you see these patterns play out through scripture, through various stories in scripture. But I also want you guys to open up a little bit of mental space to think about how these patterns also show up and have played out in your own life as well. So let's take a look at our passage today, which comes from Exodus Chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenants. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God." Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hands to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now in our passage, uh, one of the promises given by God is that he tells the Israelites, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And when it comes to the word redemption, 
it can have multiple meanings in English, right? For example, you can redeem gift cards or coupons, or you can also talk about the redeeming value of something bad, kind of like looking at the silver lining of, of, some, of some awful event. However, when scripture talks about redemption, one of the main meanings is tied to the idea of freedom. Now, the youths and youth leaders must have heard me talk about this a billion times. Uh, but when we commonly think of the word freedom, we think of it in the sense of freedom to, right? Especially here in America. Freedom to carry guns. Freedom to speak our minds. Freedom to do whatever we want, basically. But when scripture speaks of freedom, more often than not, it speaks about freedom from. Now, what do I mean by this? See, unfortunately, often in life, people are trapped. People are trapped by the effects of sin and evil here in this world, right? Some are trapped in poverty. Others are trapped in debilitating trauma. Uh, some people experience the awful feeling of being trapped by addictions, where they know that certain substances or actions are, are just not good for them, but for some reason, their body and mind simply just won't cooperate. And so for these individuals who are trapped, there's a deep desire for freedom, in the sense of freedom from. They want to be free from the trap of poverty. They want to be free from being held back by trauma, or they might want to be freed from the grips of addiction. And so as we look in Scripture, as the Israelites were trapped by the effects of sin through slavery and harsh labor, God shows up to redeem them. God shows up to free them from captivity and to liberate them. Now, for a brief moment, I, I want you to think, where have we seen this type of redemption, this type of freedom from in the New Testament? And also, looking into our own lives, have we experienced this sort of freedom from? And as you ponder and as you think of your own life, about how you have perhaps experienced redemption and experienced freedom from, you actually begin to understand something very interesting about God, something very unique about God. You begin to understand, not intellectually, this is not knowledge, this is not based off of books, you understand through experience that God's redemption always starts from God's gracious initiative. God does not wait for the Israelites to get things right. God does not wait for them to get their moral acts together. God, instead, he immediately steps into the arena and fights on behalf of the Israelites for their freedom. And so as we look into our own lives, we begin to realize that it is the same for our faith. Before we cleaned ourselves up, God reaches deepest into our moments of despair and liberates us from the effects of sin and evil. And for those who are fortunately born into Christian families who have always believed you have the greatest gift of all that God has planned even before you were even born that he would redeem you into his own family. And it's such a beautiful image that we receive here of who God is as Redeemer. Since he is a loving God and a just God, he cannot stand to see his people suffer the enslaving aspects of sin and evil. And so he graciously comes to redeem us, to free us from sin, and ultimately to save us. But often I feel sometimes, well, often in Christianity, I, I think we kind of just stop here, right? 
when we present the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, we might talk a lot about freedom from sin. Jesus saved you from your sins, and we kind of stop here. And for some of you here, you, you might even have this feeling of living in some sort of spiritual limbo, right? You're, you're freed from sin, but you begin to ask, like, now what? I'm freed from sin, that's great, but now what? What difference does that make in my life? And the wonderful thing about God's redemption is that although it's freedom from something, it also presents us a freedom to something as well. And turning back to our passage, after God promises to redeem the Israelites, to free the Israelites from slavery, the Israelites are now free to have a relationship. And the way this shows up for the Israelites is in two parts. The first part is they are now freed to have a new relationship with each other as they are given new identities. Um, I always found it a little amusing, at least, that these people in Egypt were called Israelites. Um, they had no land they could claim for themselves. There was obviously no nation of Israel. They were just a group of people who grew up in Egypt but had some sort of ancestral roots to, to a guy who lived hundreds of years ago named Abraham. But something spectacular begins to happen as we move forward in our text. If you look at verse 7 where God says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. When God redeems the Israelites as his people, the name and identity of Israelites finally begins to have genuine meaning. More than a political identity or even more than a national identity, the Israelites begin to be able to relate to each other as God's chosen people. And by doing so, God creates within Egypt a new community, a community of God's people. And it's not so hard for us to see the same parallel in the New Testament, right? As we look at the church, we're more than political affiliations or more than national pride. We're joined together even today as we see each other as fellow brothers and sisters in a new community, in a new community in Christ. And so like the Israelites, we too have been given a new access, an access to a new community, to a better community. We gain access into God's community. And so as you guys were coming in, hopefully, hopefully you were given a little sheet about small groups. As we think about small groups starting in a few weeks, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for us to reframe how we look at it. It's not just Bible study. It's not just personal edification. But it's really a participation in this new divine community that we are part of, that we have a privilege of joining because we are God's people, because we are freed to be God's people. But to be in God's community also shows up a second aspect of us being freed to have a relationship. It also now opens up a relationship between us and God. When we look throughout the rest of the Exodus story, when God frees his chosen people, right, he doesn't stop. You know, after he frees them, he's not like, all right, guys, you're free. My job is done. Good luck out there in the wilderness. See ya. Like, I'm just a God of freedom. Peace out, right? God doesn't say that. Uh, fortunately, he doesn't say that. God, instead, he continues his good work by living with the Israelites. That just as the Israelites lived in a tent and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, God lived with them in a tent with them and wandered with them for 40 years. He did not leave them despite their sin and evil. God desired to be with his people, 
to live with them, to enter into a relationship with them despite <laughs> their many faults. And for us, I believe it's, it's such a beautiful reality that we can have this experience as well. We do not have to wait till we are in heaven to enjoy the presence of God, but the presence of God is right here in our midst. Not only does the Holy Spirit now live within us, but we also have access to God through prayer at any moment and at any point in our lives. And when we pray, God does not dodge our calls. He does not ignore us or think we're not worth his time. Because God enters into a relationship with us, he continually displays his faithfulness to us by listening to us and answering our prayers day by day, hour by hour, and second by second. And so we see that so far the Israelites, they're freed from slavery in order to be free to love one another and to also love God as well, as also as God has loved them. There's one final thing that the people receive, right? So we talked about redemption. We talk, <laughs> sorry, excuse me. We talked about relationship. And so finally, we're going to look today at restoration. The people are redeemed, they enter into a new relationship, and finally, they are restored. And so as for the Israelites, as they're freed from Egypt in order to be restored by being brought into the promised land, we see God telling Moses that after Yahweh brings them out from under the yoke of Egyptians, he says this, I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession and kind of signs this contract off with this little signature by saying, I am the Lord. And through this promise, God restores to the Israelites a few things. Whereas once they were outcasts in Egypt, they are now restored into being a community of God with dignity, with purpose. Whereas they were once slaves in a foreign nation, they are now restored to be free, to live in their own land that God has promised them. And that's the beautiful message we receive from God, that as we are redeemed from sin and evil, we are also restored by being brought into a better situation and into a better place. And so when we look at the pattern of salvation that presents itself throughout the Exodus events, we begin to see clearly that salvation has two big main parts. Salvation is as... Dr. Michael Williams says, salvation is a negation of something and the positive possession of something else. And we just covered what this looked like for the Israelites, but where else do we see this in Scripture, right? In the book of Judges and Kings, God saves the Israelites from being destroyed by foreign nations, and in its place, he gives the people security and peace. In the midst of exile, God again brings his own people out of exile and restores to them his presence and his relationship. And as we turn our eyes into the New Testament, humanity is not just freed from sin, that's half the equation, right? But now we're also given so much more in its place. We're given a new community of believers ruled by love. We're given access to God in a way that was literally impossible before Christ. And in place of death, we are all given eternal life. And so, brothers and sisters, as you walk throughout the rest of your week, I encourage you to think about how you see this pattern in your own life. In what way has God saved you from 
and in what way has God brought you into a better place? Maybe it's something tangible. Maybe God has taken away illness and restored back health and vitality. Or maybe it is psychological, where you've been freed from the grips of depression or addiction, and in its place, you're given a sense of quiet joy and gratitude in all areas of life. And so no matter the circumstance, I encourage you all to take some time, maybe today, or maybe take some time this week as you have your quiet time or as you read through scripture, I encourage you to reflect on where you see this pattern of salvation within your own life. And as you reflect on it, I hope that your eyes will begin to open up to an incredible reality and to the reality of God's faithfulness and love where you begin to see that these are no longer abstract uh, concepts that a pastor talks about or abstract concepts you read in a book, but a lived reality where you live in the midst of God's faithfulness and you experience his love. And so in a short while, we, we're, we're going to sing a song of response, but before we sing a song of response, I want to invite us all just to take a moment of stillness and to reflect, maybe for about 30 seconds in, in quietness. I want you to perhaps reflect, in what ways have you experienced God's redemption, God's relationship, and God's restoration? And so let's, let's take 30 seconds uh, to reflect on this before I close uh, with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to praise you that the story you are writing through our lives is indeed a beautiful and wonderful story. We admit that many things are, are still a mystery, uh, and in many things we're, we're still waiting for the full restoration of our bodies, of our minds, and of our souls, and some things there just simply are no answers for in this side of eternity. But we do not deny, we have seen your pattern of redemption, of relationship, and restoration occur so often in our lives that it actually gives us hope. It gives us hope in the promise of our eternal lives and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. We've tasted your faithfulness. We have seen your acts of love and compassion, and we hear your words of comfort during the darkest of nights. And so help us, Father, to know you as the Israelites knew you, to know you not just as an intellectual exercise, but to know you experientially as we see this pattern of salvation play out in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And so help us, Father, today to know that you indeed are the Lord. Teach us, Father, to be faithful to you as we remember how you have been faithful to us in the past and present and in the future to come. And help us, Lord, to continue to abound in love for one another as fellow brothers and sisters of this new divine community. Let love and encouragement be quick on our lips as we spur one another on to finish the race that is our faith. And we pray all of this in your precious son's name. Amen.